You know, like, I think it's okay. I'm not doing any harm by deleting this email, but I'm, I'm making my life better. And I'm like making the life better of the people who are counting on me in this sense. And so, so I think it's this sort of combination of I'm going to be a better human, a better everything to everyone else, the healthier and better rested and stronger I am. I'm actually going to be more creative. I may not be more productive, but I'm going to be more creative. And the thing about creativity is it creates nonlinearity, right? Productivity is linear. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. This is part three of our Stick to Business mini-series with Dr. Peter McGraw, author of the book, Stick to Business. And if you didn't catch the first two parts, please go back and check those out. Uh, on this one, I'd really love to talk about this idea of work hard or hardly work. Can you talk about that in comedy and entrepreneurship and, and other places you see it applying? Yeah, so the book sort of split into two parts. So the, the, the first half of the book is very focused on sort of marketing and management, entrepreneurship, kind of building a business in some way, the ideas around that, sort of translating the practices and perspectives of the world's funniest people into these, I think, action, I try to make them as actionable as possible lessons. The second half of the book is more about professional development, career development, thinking about how to work. And so work hard and hard, or, or hardly work comes from what I saw as a puzzle in the sort of life hacking thing. So you, you talk about how your, your podcast is, is like Tim Ferriss's, but not as good, which I enjoy the comedy associated with that. But, you know, if you, if you listen to the Tim Ferriss's of the world and the Jocko Willenicks and, you know, basically any of these, these folks who are focused on that kind of stuff, you seem to get a mixed message, which is people talk about the grind, you know, your Jocko, you know, the grind up at 4.30 a.m. every day, putting in the hours and all that kind of stuff. And then there's others who talk about the value of being bored, the value of taking walks and, you know, napping underneath a tree and, you know, and so on. And what I realized was there's two ways to look at it. That First of all, that neither of those is right nor wrong, right? There, there, but what it is, is there's some people who need to grind more. They need to spend less time napping and more time putting in the hours to develop their skills. And then there's some people, I'm guessing you and I are like these people, who need some more naps. They need to kind of release more. And the cheat code, so to speak, is to do both of those things within a single day. Right. And so I, I'll step back for a second. And so I learned this from my, my comic friends, but this holds true for anybody really in, in any sort of creative endeavor. But I'll use Jerry Seinfeld as a, as a case study, if I may. So when, when Jerry and Larry David were working on Seinfeld, this is easy to forget, but, but this was the biggest show on television for a while. And it, it basically made Jerry a billionaire, you know, that plus plus, you know, his touring and, and all that kind of stuff. But, but the show has, and the show has made even more money in syndication than it did when it was first being released. But what these guys recognized was the most important thing to a good show was the script, 
that the script had to not just be funny, it had to be hilarious. And so when they were finalizing a script, they would lock themselves in the office. And they would they could not be disturbed under any circumstances, right? So they didn't make costume decisions or set decisions or even casting decisions. They just worked on the script. The only person who had access to them was an administrative assistant that they would they'd bring out the paper, you know, the, the, the old script with all the scribbles and stuff, and she would sit and type it up. And every so often she'd come across a point and she would laugh out loud. And that's the only thing that they would allow to disturb them. They would burst out of the office to find out what she was laughing about. So these guys understood the value of protecting their creative time. And so, so part of the work hard side of things is this notion of you create a sacred, sacred time, sacred space, if you need to, to be disconnected, to be away from it all, to allow you to concentrate. Like concentrating is a very difficult thing to do in a world, you know, for example, of constantly buzzing smartphones. So to revisit, to revisit session one, you know, we sometimes want to be less, less connected, you know, in that sense. And so figuring out how do you, what is your most creative work? What is your most rewarding work? And how do you protect that time? So protect is the first step. The second one is this idea of grinding, of working hard. And that is that what comics will do is they'll work on their material, not in big batches, 14 hours in one day, but rather two hours a day for seven days. And so when, when Jerry Seinfeld is working on a new special or a, a new tour, as he's developing that material, he gets out one of these old school, you know, those desk calendars? you know, the old school desk calendar, he'll hang it on the wall. And every day he works on his jokes, whether it be writing jokes or practicing, you know, going to a small comedy club and trying them out, he'll put an X through that day. Well, at the end of three days, he has a chain. And then he has a saying, don't break the chain. So he works a little bit on his craft every single day with, you know, largely without breaks. But the thing he also does, and this is especially the case, I mean, he's been doing it since the 70s, but he attributes much of the success to Seinfeld and especially the management of Seinfeld, is Seinfeld meditates. So he, while everybody else was eating lunch on the set, he would do 20 minutes of meditation. He would disconnect and give himself a break from this work. Now, meditation doesn't have to be the um, release that you're looking for. It could be like you're Charles Schultz and you would work, you know, sort of eight to four writing your, excuse me, drawing peanuts. But then at four o'clock, he'd pick his kids up and, you know, make them dinner and hang out with the family and so on. And so this idea of you work hard and then you hardly work, you take a break, like a real break from it. What too many of us do is we sort of half work and half not work. We sort of work and then we check Instagram and then we, you know, we work and then we kind of wander down the hall and chit chat with a, with a colleague and so on versus this sort of barbell sort of approach that's there. And comedians do this. They just happen that, you know, they happen to be very good at being lazy. What we often don't see is they're hidden away working on their crafts, you know, in this sort of daily process, at least the ones who are successful. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to be successful in comedy without taking this sort of craftsperson perspective.
You know, um, everybody's familiar with the 80-20 principle and Pareto's mm. Law, whatever you want to call it. My favorite author on that subject is Richard Koch. His book, The 80-20 Principle, I feel like is the best one out there on this. But the, the, the one thought that it makes me think about is actually putting stuff into application. Like, you know, maybe Cal Newport, and he's got his book, Deep Work about setting stuff aside you know it's been really helpful when i've been able to time block and turn my phone off not not connect my computer to internet and like get rid of those temptations right Mm -hmm. but there's this great book called autopilot by andrew smart about the accidental accidental discovery of the default mode network in the brain which shows like when we're not involved in conscious activity that Mm. fmri machines show there's a different part of our brain that lights up and it's basically the scientific scientific explanation why sleeping on it helps us come up with better ideas and yes. going on a walk, meditating, whatever these things are, where he basically shows it's a disadvantage to work hard too long because the other half of your brain doesn't get a chance to light up and connect all the dots of everything you've been doing. And it it's helped me like, you know, turn off my audiobooks when I'm driving places somewhere just to mm. let my default mode network turn on, right? And it's interesting the thoughts that'll come to me if I can do that. And I guess my question for you is, besides intentionally pursuing a program where I've got a system that works for me instead of me working for me, so I don't have mm-hmm. to grind constantly, right? Because I've, I've intentionally pursued a system instead of just trading my hours at all times. What about, like, I'll read the book, I'll do it for a while, and then I get out of the habit and I'm busy from the minute I check my phone in the morning until I set my charge my phone in at night, like I'm kind of constantly buzzing, constantly checking on this, kind of answering that. Any thoughts for like it is my temptation to overgrind? How how I can pull back on that? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I I think as I said, you know, people have one of one or the other problem. They don't grind enough, or they don't they don't take enough breaks, and then they they wear themselves out, or they as as you're talking about is. They, they're less efficient, you know, that they, that you miss opportunities. So I think I'm a big believer in habits. So, you know, the, you know, if you get on YouTube, there's all these like willpower kinds of motivational videos and so on. And I just don't think that willpower is the solution to, to our kinds of problems. The solution to our kind of problems is to develop habits or, you know, systems as, you know, as, as Scott Adams says, you know, he says, have systems, not goals. I, I like that a lot. And so the, the idea is, is that I, I think there's sort of two ways to do this. The first one is to, to convince yourself, and all the data suggests this to be the case, of the value, the great value of being released from your work. The, the number one is that it's good for your health you know, that, that when you are healthy and you're strong and you're well-rested, by the way, one is you can fight COVID better than if you're not, you know, I mean, no one's talking about how immune systems are the true heroes of, of 2020. And, you know, and so not only is it, you're going to be on this planet for longer, but you're going to feel better, you know, I mean, you're just going to have more positive emotion and so on. The next thing is, so so it's just like, I always ask my students, is your health really number one? You know, is your health really number one? And, and the issue is like, when you're, when you're 26, you can cut corners. But when you start hitting middle age, you know, you, you start sacrificing sleep for productivity. And that has a real effect in the moment and in the long term. 
So you make your, if you make your health number one, that gives you the license to take your nap, to take your walk, to, to go to bed at a reasonable hour and so on. The second thing is, and, and oh, by the way, that's really good for everyone else in your life. Like you're a better person, the healthier you are. You're going to be a better partner, a better father, a better mother, a better, what, you know, whatever it is, leader. The next thing is, is this idea that you've, you just talked about, which is it's counterintuitive is that you can do better work by not working, that you give yourself a chance to kind of process ideas and so on. But what ends up happening is like, there's only limited hours in the day, right? So you've talked about the 80, 20 stuff is that you just have to get very comfortable not getting everything done as long as you get the most important stuff done. You know, and, and again, you've got to disappoint people. This is a world that we live in. You can't make everyone happy, you know? And so I don't know. I think as Paul Graham said this, this was a powerful thing. Paul said, email allows anyone in the world to put an item on your to-do list. I think it was him who said that. When I heard that, I was suddenly like, I think I can delete some emails now. You know, like, I think it's okay. I'm not doing any harm by deleting this email, but I'm, I'm making my life better. And I'm making the life better of the people who are counting on me in this sense. And so, so I think it's this sort of combination of I'm going to be a better human, a better everything to everyone else, the healthier and better rested and stronger I am. I'm actually going to be more creative. I may not be more productive, but I'm going to be more creative. And the thing about creativity is it creates nonlinearity, right? Productivity is linear, but creativity is, can be exponential. And then the other thing is like, again, we're getting back to, to the previous session where we talked about how this goes against our monkey mind, how it goes against human domestication, which is that we want to try to make everyone happy. But if we try to make everyone happy, we make no one happy. Yeah, I feel like there's so much packed in there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I kind of love it. I think, you know, the habits thing is good. My brother got a dog and he started having to go on dog walks and it yes. was really great, you know, because mm-hmm. it was like this like thing he felt bad ignoring instead of just saying he was ignoring his own health or something, you know? Yeah. So we just got two weeks ago, we got a black lab puppy for that. Oh, congratulations. For, me, for that reason. Yeah. And like this time it was going to be my pet instead of the kid's pet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that I could maybe more consistently carve out that time and realizing that that, cause I know that that's going to be a realistic program for me mm-hmm. versus telling myself, Oh, I'll slow down. I'll, I'll, I'll make time. You know what I mean? I probably need yeah. to do more around these habits or systems to, I, I need to do more around them. That makes it harder to give into the temptation of, of just working my life away and not having a life. You know, this is weird. I just thought of this and I can't believe I didn't think about it for the book, which is I talk about creating sacred time, protected time for your creative work. You know, that, so this is, I never schedule a dental appointment during this time. I don't, I don't schedule podcasts. I mean, I think we had a back and forth about the timing of this podcast where I said, can we push it a little later? Can we push it a little later? I've got my writing time in the morning, right? So that, so this was like, you, you bumped up against my sacred time and I pushed back on it gently because I wanted to do this. But I, but I, you know, if you had said it has to be at 7am, I might've said no to this, 
you know, it just, you know, again, because not only is it, is it violating, you know, these rules, but it's also discombobulating for me now because it's such a habit. You could apply the same principle to the release, right? So Charles Schultz naturally had this because he had a family. And so he started drawing when the kids went off to, to school and he, and he stopped drawing when the kids came back, you know, from soccer practice or whatever it is. And so then, and then that became his, you know, kind of a ritual, ritualized thing. So I think maybe a place to start is you just schedule that release time, whatever it is, whenever you want it to be, and you stick to it. And I will tell you, Jess, it's going to be uncomfortable at first because you're going to feel all these opportunity costs and all this kind of thing. But the beautiful thing about habits is if you keep doing it, you keep doing it, you keep doing it, eventually it's going to be discombobulating to not do it. And I have to say, it's it's the issue. It's not that the, the creative work is more important than the release or that the release is more important than the creative work. It's together they're important. You know, so the, so the two of them together is way more important than any one of them is on its own. I you know, it's, it. it's exponential. No, it's, that makes a ton of sense. Well, listen, I, I know this one's a little shorter. I think that's fine. But let's, let's sure. wrap up this principle here and t- invite everybody to tune into uh, part four of our Stick to Business miniseries. PeterMcGraw.org. Get, get your copy of Stick to Business on audible.com or amazon.com. And hopefully we catch you on the next one here. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks, Jess.